this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so Andy, you haven't had much of a break, but hopefully you've had a, 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 a little bit of a, a coffee or juice or something. You've got some water. So let's welcome Andy as he, as he speaks uh, once again. And on the subject of maintaining the momentum. Yeah. All yours, my friends. Thank you. Fantastic. I can't believe that. Phone 999. That would have get, that at least got the fire engines out of the way, wouldn't it? If nothing else. See, I'm always in trouble. It's just the depth that varies. So I'm a bit of a cheeky chappy when it comes to things like that. So not phoning down, you know, drop calling 999, but you know what I mean. Um, so what time am I supposed to finish? One o'clock. Okay, if people start wilty because they're really hungry, I'll, I'll know it's time. Um, Graham's kind of asked me to kind of look at kind of mo- maintaining momentum um, in terms of the prophetic and things of the spirit, all that kind of stuff. Um, so... Some of what I'll say will be really relevant to leaders. Some of it will be relevant to all of us. But hopefully uh, there will be something, at least something in there for everyone. And I alluded to kind of my, my story over recent sort of three or four years um, in my last talk. But um, about four years ago, I guess it was now, when what we was called the kind of Welsh outpouring began in Cumbran in South Wales. Um, I happened to be on a prayer retreat sort of not too far away. Um, and it only been going like a week or two, and so I, I kind of went up to Cumbran to kind of hang out and just see kind of what God was doing, and um, when I was there, I kind of couldn't work out, I mean, it was great, the meetings were great, and, and stuff was happening, but I couldn't really work out what the difference was between what was going on there and what was going on with us at King's. It was kind of like, it's almost the same thing, but not quite, and I was trying to, trying to work out what was, the, what was the missing ingredient, if you like, what was the, what was the thing that was kind of separate in what they were seeing from what we were seeing, because everything else looked pretty much the same to me. And um, I had the privilege of, of uh, hanging out with some of the leaders, going out to dinner with them, and I've been up and down a few times um, with them. And, and, and what I discovered, the missing ingredient was hunger. And what it was, as I, as, I, as I met with those leaders, I could see those leaders were hungry for the presence of God themselves. They, they were really, really hungry and, and, and personally looking to pursue God for that. And, um, you know, they weren't, in a way, that interested in the stuff that was going on around them. I mean, obviously they were. They were pastoring what was going on and stewarding. But, the, but it wasn't distracting them from just their own personal pursuit of more of God. They were really, really hungry. And so as I, as I kind of spent time with them, and it was only like an evening or, or two, you know, it was just that sense of I knew they were hungry for God in a way I wasn't. And I realized that I'd become really ambitious for God. I'd come really ambitious for the kingdom. I'd come really ambitious for things like signs and wonders and really ambitious for, you know, heaven on earth, all that kind of stuff. But I realized that I was ambitious for God, but I wasn't hungry for more of him. Um, and that kind of really began my journey um, in that I wasn't, I wasn't hungry for more of him. And so what I did was I, I got hungry. And, and the way I did that was I just hung around people like them. I just hung around um, those leaders in Cumbran. As I say, I, I kind of buzzed up and down quite a few times on, on my motorbike just to kind of hang out with them and just get around people that I saw were hungry. Um, 
And one thing I've realised, and Graham kind of alluded to it as he was opening the meeting here, was that hungry people will travel. You know, and you've got people coming from, you know, the local area. You've got people coming from counties surrounding. You know, you've got people coming from Teesside. So we've literally got Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth because Teesside's pretty much the ends of the earth, sorry, um, as far as I can make out. So, you know, but hungry people will travel. And um, that was true in the New Testament. And that's true, you know, for us. Hungry people will travel. And so, very long story short, I, I just got hungry. Um, and um, if you're interested, I've, I've been asked to sort of serialise my story, which I'm doing on my blog, andyrobinson.org.uk, just going through that whole story kind of um, week by week, just sort of walking that out. I mean, it's not massively spectacular, but it is just what happened to me. And, um, you know, as I, as I did that, as I, I determined to kind of get hungry, um, I just met with Father and he changed me um, and he, he changed the church too because I, I, I talk a lot and so, um, you know, not just when I'm up here anywhere. Um, and so what happens is I just live my life out through my mouth um, and that's just me. So as we as a church kind of went through every opportunity when I was preaching, what was happening to me came out as we were preaching. So that phrase I used earlier on when I said, you know, uh, Father's primary purpose in sending Jesus was not the remission of sins, but the adoption of sons. Anyone in our church will tell you that. What was the thing that changed Andy's life? They'll know that because they've, they've had to listen to it again and again and again and again and again. Um, and um, and that's, so that's what happened to me. And you get to a point where you actually are, I'm not going to accept anything less than meeting with God, encountering him, knowing that tangible kind of presence of God. And, uh, you know, and that, was, that was our experience. And as the church kind of caught up with that week after week, as we were gathering in whatever context, prayer meetings, we had one prayer meeting literally the weekend after I came back from Cumbran. We used to have a prayer meeting every kind of second Sunday night. And um, the, the Sunday I was preaching, and it wasn't a particularly good sermon to be honest, but um, there wasn't a prayer meeting that evening, not due. And during the kind of... Um, preach, I just kind of said, this is how Hazel found out, this is how communication works in their house, I was preaching and said, and said, uh, oh by the way, Hazel and I are going to go and pray tonight, we'll leave the door on the latch, and you know, the reason we did it prayer every other week was because we were getting like seven, eight, nine, ten people, you know, out of a church of what was 250 at the time, you know, so you're kind of thinking, oh, nobody really wants to go, but we better do it because we're church, so we do it every other week, and um, that's just how leaders think, and so we were, we were doing that, and Hazel and I decided we'd just go and just pray, uh, well, I decided Hazel and I would just go and pray, um, and um, we went, and um, it was absolutely rammed. And you're thinking, that wasn't a good sermon. And all I did was, if I'd given a notice, during the notices, no one had remembered to have come. But actually, I don't know, it was literally a drop-in like that. I just said, me and Hayes are going to go and pray. We'll leave the door on the latch. That was it. And it was absolutely packed. And um, it was just something that that hunger suddenly people started to catch it and when we met it was amazing we were just meeting and and the presence of God fell the holiness of God fell I mean people just kneeling on the floor lying on the floor whatever nobody spoke it was just the thickness the kind of holiness of God and then people started publicly confessing sin just out of nowhere and I'm like my goodness what is going on and then it was you know the appointed time half past seven to finish Um, and I just said well we're supposed to finish but I'm you know I'm not going anywhere and nobody moved Everybody just kind of stay put. And so there's been this journey as a church of, of kind of pressing in and just enjoying the presence of God and seeing all this kind of stuff happening. But in my heart, what I was kind of thinking was, what if it all stops? 
You know, what if it all ends as quickly as it's begun? And, you know, as, as a leader in the church, you know, you want to be a good shepherd of the people. And uh, you're kind of always thinking, like, how, how do I get ready to prepare the church to lead them through a season where this stops? You know, how do I avoid disappointment? How do I lead them through disappointment if all of this stops? And, um, you know, that's a kind of background you come from you want to cover I want to cover all the angles you know what if what if what if and and um you know I just began to kind of get before God and ask him look what what do I, what do I do when it all stops and do you know what the Holy Spirit said to me he said but what if it doesn't now everything in me was saying but what if it stops but somehow I just kept hearing from the Holy Spirit, yeah, but what if it doesn't stop? How are you going to kind of prepare for that? And and to be honest, it felt a little bit childish, the Holy Spirit. Every time I just said kind of, what if it stops? He just kept saying, well, what if it doesn't stop? And you're thinking, you're supposed to be the grown-up here, you know? It's like, don't just keep saying that. But that's, that's what kept happening. And it, it, it kept going around, but what if it doesn't stop? And eventually, for me, the penny dropped but what if it doesn't stop genius and that was kind of where I was at and suddenly I began to think differently and my expectation was that it wasn't going to stop not on my watch and that was kind of where I came to as a as a leader was that it's not gonna stop and so the question then became how do not not to how do I prepare the church for disappointment but how do I prepare the church to maintain the momentum that actually we were experiencing and enjoying. And, you know, what, what we came to realize was that what we were enjoying was not just a high watermark. You know, it's really easy to kind of, we've all done it, you know, you look back and think, oh, yeah, do you remember 1994 when the whole Toronto blessed? Wow, amazing. And you look as if it's a high watermark. You go, do you remember that? Wow, yeah, I remember that. But actually, what I felt the Lord was doing is saying, saying I want to recalibrate your normal. You see, if your normal's here, and what God did in 1994 is a high water mark up there, then it's always going to be something you're kind of reaching for. But actually, as we get to that high water mark, if we allow God to recalibrate our normal, then we're no longer looking up there for that, because that's normal now. And so for us, part of the journey is, is, is recalibrating our new normal all the time. So you reinforce what God's doing, say, this is normal. And actually, there's still further to go. And so if you do that, you're not thinking then, well, what if it stops? Because what if it stops thinking is a high watermark thinking. Because you're expecting the tide to go out. Yeah? And so actually, we've got we to move ourselves to a place in our thinking that's not expecting the tide to go out. We're expecting this to be a platform that we're going to move on from, not a high watermark that we kind of gaze up at. And so I think as I've kind of looked at that and, and we've looked at how do you keep that kind of, uh, uh, the title of the seminar is how do you keep the prophetic fires burning? But it isn't just down to the prophetic, although the prophetic is really, really important. But they're, they're, it's one of the things that, that keeps momentum. And if it's, if it's truly prophetic, is is that it should be pushing you forward all the time. It should be keeping your eyes on the horizon. 
You know, yes, there's an element of the prophetic, and you'll see it tonight where we call out words of knowledge and people get healed, and, and that's all great um, and really important. But actually, in terms of kind of like weighty prophetic, it should be set in your eyes on the horizon um, and not just be about, you know, I feel God saying there's somebody here with a bone in their leg or something. You know, it, it, that's all good and really important and it encourages, it builds up, it lifts up, it's really important. But actually, you know, when it talks about Ephesians 5, apostles and prophets working together, it is that sense of moving forward. Otherwise, we just end up with high watermarks. Or do you remember when we had five words of knowledge and they were all right? Remember that day? You know, it's like, you know, it, it just becomes a high watermark. So, so we've got to start looking to mo- maintain that momentum. And the prophetic is a key part of it. But it's not, it's not the sum total of it all. And so I guess in the time that we've got, I just wanted to identify a few keys uh, that I would identify as kind of helpful keys. It's not an exhaustive list because I've only got 45 minutes. So I kind of pick my, my top few um, for you to kind of think about as how do we maintain momentum. Um, so we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do as many as we can get through in the time. Um, and as I say, some of these will work if you're a leader in a different way to if you're, if, if you're not a leader, but it applies across the board. And the number one thing is you personally need to stay hungry. That's the one and only thing. If you remember nothing else, it's that. It's you need to be hungry. The, the number one way for you to maintain momentum in your own life and how we as leaders maintain momentum in the church is to stay hungry. You know, and as I pointed out to you earlier, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, this, is, this January was my 10th year uh, full-time uh, as a minister. Before that, I was sales and marketing director for a big kind of software company. But it's very easy to end up in a situation where you're ambitious for God, but you're just not hungry for Him personally. And uh, you need to make sure that you stay hungry. Um, hunger is the ignition for all of this. Um, for sure, without a doubt. Um, but actually, the lack of hunger will cause you to stall. So if you want to use a, you know, a car or a motorbike, in my case, hunger is the ignition, but actually lack of it will cause you to stall it. Um, and it will it'll, it'll just stall the engine. So we need to stay hungry. The ways to keep hungry are these. Spend time with hungry people. You know, I don't know if you remember, but in the story that Jesus told about raising people from the dead, and the stories we read in the Bible, is you know, when he was going to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead and, and others, what he did was he got rid of anybody that was cynical and full of unbelief. Chucked them out of the room. Because he says, I'm, I want to be with hungry people. And so, not that he didn't associate with them ever, because you know the story, of course he did. But actually, there were key times when you just got to be around hungry people and get rid of people that are cynical and negative. You know, just refuse to do it. Don't spend time with them. You know, you just think, you know, if you want to get hungry and get happy, you can hang out with me. But if if you just want to be cynical and negative, it will kill you, suck the life out of you. Um, It kills hunger. So, you know, spend time with hungry people. You know, it may not be that you've got many hungry people where you are, maybe you're it, you know, um, in a sense. And maybe like I was, you've got to travel. Well, travel, you know, travel if you need to. Um, and, um, you know, Bill Johnson, when people have kind of challenged him over things like science and wonders, saying, well, the Bible says that, you know, you shouldn't chase science and wonders, that science and wonders 
supposed to follow you. And he just said, well, I'm going to chase them till they do start following me and then I'll stop chasing them. You know, and it's that I would say the same about being hungry. You know, it's just, just chase where stuff's going on. Chase around where people are hungry and get hungry. And then when you're hungry, you may not need to chase around for it anymore because it will start following you. Hungry people will start coming to you. But until that happens, go for it. Listen to podcasts. You know, watch video sermons from people who not only inspire you, but make you hungrier. You know, it's don't listen to the flip, I wish I was there attitude. You know, right, that's it, we're going to move to Derby, we're going to move to Horsham, we're going to move to Bethel, wherever it is. You know, no, 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 no. Just allow it to seed hunger in you for more where you are. You know, if God speaks you to go somewhere, then of course go. But just that sense of it's don't bail out. Just think, I need to go and be with hungry people. And so if you've got to do that, then, then, then get up and go to a conference or go and listen to videos and podcasts from elsewhere. You know, wherever that is, whether that's from Jubilee Church, you can go on our church, we have videos and all that kind of clever stuff. You know, read books. Read books that tell stories about things you're not yet seeing. Read books that ignite your, your hunger for more. Um, you know, there's so many you could choose from. I have a blog um, if you go to my site, you'll see it's books, and I, I'm constantly, I'm a, I, I constantly read, always reading. Never read a book cover to cover till I was 35. Never put one down since. Um, and, and, you know, leaders are readers. If you're a leader, you need to be a reader. Um, and, and just read. So if you're not sure where to start, you know, please go and check out my blog. Or there's loads of other places to go. I just not want to be full of self-promotion. I'm just saying I get asked so often. I've got resources to help me with that rather than sit down with a long list with you all. But, no, great one that's out at the moment. Just come out, Defining Moments by Bill Johnson. Absolutely superb. It's basically each chapter is a chapter on a revivalist um, and how them kind of ministering in the presence of God has kind of changed them. And it goes right through from, from you know, historical revivalists right the way through to present day. Absolutely amazing. So read, go to conferences, um, and find others maybe where you are in your, in your local church or in your town that are hungry for more and just spend time together. Tell stories. That's why we tell loads of stories. That's why we want to, you know, in, ignite faith and just tell stories of what's God doing because it makes you hungry. It should make you hungry. It, it should never make you go, it's all right for them, you know. And you say, no, no, come on, we can do that here. We can believe for that here. So the number one thing is, is, is stay hungry. If you want to maintain momentum yourself or in your church, make sure you or your leadership teams are, are hungry and staying hungry. Keep prodding each other, you know, to stir hunger and tell stories of kind of what's, what's going on. Um, you know, we love to do that. And it's, it's one of those things that just keeps inspiring you for more and more. So number one, stay hungry. A second way, um, which is, I think, really key um, for maintaining momentum is what we would use a phrase called it leaning into the prophetic. You need to lean in to the prophetic. Um, and I'm sure there's, whether that's personally or corporately, I'm sure there's lots of words over your lives, over your churches, um, and I think we, we tend very much to kind of, well, we've got to weigh and test it, you know, so we'll weigh and test it, but that's really all we do. We weigh it and test it and go, yeah, 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 but, mm, mm, yeah, I'm feeling, yeah, I feel the Lord's on that, yeah. And then we put it in a drawer, you know, and wait for it to happen. And actually, many times, if, we, if you listen to prophetic words, there's opportunity for you to lean into it. You know, so if, if someone's given you a prophetic word to say that you're going to become the prime minister, all right, 
please, Lord Jesus. Um, then you can weigh that word and say, I feel that's from God. And then you can sit by the phone. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. My advice would be, go to university, get a degree in politics. Go and join any, I don't care which one, you know, a major political party. Go and take part. Learn what it does. Start leaning into the word. Take something on yourself. The phone is not going to ring. It's not. Because we have to partner with it. And so if we want to maintain momentum, you know, God will speak, but we've got to lean into it with him. So for us as a church, we've had some major prophetic words over us in recent years. You know, Julian Adams is a trusted friend and prophet and has spoken to us. And one of the things he said when he was with us was about, um, you know, our, our worship teams. And we've got some amazing um, worship bands and stuff. And maybe next year we'll, we'll bring them all. Um, not all the bands, but a whole band. Um, and um, obviously nothing going on in, in, in back at home, would it, if, if we were all here. But we could bring a band. Um, and and it, it's really important because one of the things he said is that the, the band would, would learn to release the spontaneous sounds of heaven, which we kind of like the sound of that. And what he said was, is, is that as worship teams and worship leaders, they need to learn what it is to be a drinker before they're a dispenser. Okay, so that was the word. And we could have sat there and gone, hmm, that's great. We like the sound of the spontaneous sounds of heaven. We'll have some of that. And you worship folks, you need to learn what it is to be a you know, dispenser or a drinker before you're a dispenser. But we didn't do that. What we did was we lent into that. And think, well, these guys are giving out every week. You know, they're on stage every week. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them. You know, how do our worship leaders particularly, you know, how do they... How do we help them become drinkers before they're dispensers? And so we decided to send all of our worship leaders to Bethel for a fortnight on their worship you kind of thing. That they, they cost thousands. Cost thousands. And so as a church, we just said, we want to lean into this prophetic word. We want the spontaneous sounds of heaven. And so, guys, open up your wallets. We're going to send these guys. And we had an offering, and we paid for them all to go. All expenses paid. The whole lot. All of them. You know, and that's what leaning into the prophetic is. We're going to invest in the prophetic word that God's given to us. We're not going to sit by and wait and see. We're going to lean into it. And so there's, there's loads of examples that I could give you of that. But it's a key thing if you want to maintain momentum is look at the prophetic words, you know, and be real. You know, we've looked at prophetic words for 20 years old and we've looked at them and go, we missed it. We missed it. So let's not keep kind of hanging on to it. We had a moment, we dipped out, we've missed it. And it's not like, oh, woe is me, we missed it. No, okay, we've missed it, let's move on. What's God saying in the now? What's he doing and how do we, how do we lean into it? And so I would say, you know, get hungry is the most important thing. But then I would say lean into the prophetic words in your own lives. You know, if, if, if God said stuff over you thinking, not that you, you make it come about, but you put in place the foundation that will allow it to come about. And so you partner with God in it. You know, if, if you know, you've got a word that God says, you know, I don't know, you're going to plant churches in other nations. My advice would be, don't become a solicitor in English law. It's not transportable. Become a plumber. Become a carpenter. Become a nurse. Become a, a, a masseuse. 
all transferable skills. You know? Graham, you've got some work to do here, mate. There's, there's some issues. But it's transferable skills. So if you're a young person and God's calling to another nation, you think, well, I'm not going to become a solicitor in English law. It's not going to help me. So I need to lay a foundation that God can then move with. Maybe I need to learn another language. You know, I don't know. But do you see what I mean? It's not just about waiting for God to do something. You're going to think, how do I lean into this? So whether that's as a church or as an individual, I'd say really, really push in. As I say, you can't make it happen, but you can lay a foundation that will um, facilitate it happening. So that would be a, a, a biggie. Um, another one, number three, key to maintaining, uh, maintaining momentum, would be experience your theology. Experience it. Now, I suspect most of us are here from kind of New Frontiers churches or something similar. And, you know, maybe it's not an issue for you, maybe it is. But, you know, one of my, my big things for us, for me as a church, and, and, and what's going on is actually... We need to experience the theology that we so tightly hold on to. Um, It's one thing for us to believe and understand God can. It's quite another to believe he will. And I think if we're not careful, we end up with a theology that we're really sure of that God can, but we have no expectation that he will. And, you know, part of what I, I mean, I talk about it a lot, uh, you know, wherever I go, is is that we need to start to expect to experience our theology. You know, I read that passage um, in the, my previous session, didn't I? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know? See the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, to proclaim freedom, all of that. We, we believe that. We have a theology that says, that's for us. Go and do likewise. All that the Father's called me to do, now I call you to do. We believe that. We believe he can. We have no expectation he will. And so we need to start experiencing our theology. And that's for me, is a, is a, is a, a biggie. We need to just start doing the stuff. We, we, we start to expect God to turn up. If you want to maintain momentum, then you, you need that thing that says, well, what, not what if it stops, but it won't stop. And what's going to happen next? And, and stepping out. If you're a leader, you've got to lead. By example, you know, the reason I said I don't mind if I get it wrong when I was doing words of knowledge before is because I get it wrong. It's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. But we've got to step out. You can't just say, well, who, you know, where's the word of knowledge, guys? We've got to say, no, lead. Lead. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me as well. Um, and I can do it if I step out. Um, and um, that, that's my, my testimony as well. It, it, you know, you've got to go and expect to experience your your theology. Um, so that would be another one. Um, this one's probably um, for leaders, really, more than individuals. Um, change your meetings. Einstein's definition of insanity was to keep doing the same things and expecting a different result. So if you're not encountering your theology, if you're not seeing the presence of God in your meetings, don't keep doing the same things, expecting something different to happen. You've got to think about doing something different in order to experience your theology. Now, you know, 
we've done that. We kind of keep pressing. No, no, this is how we do it. You know, um, you could be in. You know, I've been in New Frontiers churches where I've not even understood the language that they were speaking. But I tell you what, I knew it was a New Frontiers church. Now, at one level, that's a good thing. But on another level, you're thinking, is what we do so predictable? It doesn't matter, even if I can't understand the words that are coming out of people's mouth, that this is what's going to happen next. You know, I knew when the notices were coming. I knew when the sermon was coming. I knew everything. And I think there's an element that just says, if you want to experience something different, then maybe you've got to change some things. And it might be, you know, in a way, you could probably come to us at King's and look at it and think, that don't look any different to us. But I tell you, it is different because something changed. And what changed was, what do our meetings orbit around? And so let me ask you the question, what does your, what does your meetings orbit around? Now my guess is it will be the sermon. So everything points towards the sermon. So your, you know, your, your worship is to kind of warm everybody up, ready to receive the word. You know, you want the prophets to come to kind of, dignify the word this is the word of the lord it's coming it's just sort of say this is going to be really good and then you have the word and then the ministry after the word is to measure how good the word was and so everything focuses towards the sermon and what that does because everybody in us everything in us wants significance everything in you wants significance everything in me wants significance and what that does by doing that is the world and his dog wants to preach why Because if everything revolves around the sermon, the most significant person in the room is the preacher. The reason we struggle with getting people to lead and and take the kingdom where they work is because the only place they really believe significance exists is in the pulpit. Because everything revolves around the sermon. And so what we did is we came to the point where we said, no, 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 we just want the presence of God and nothing else. And if we make the Holy Spirit and the presence of God the thing that our meetings orbit around, then he becomes the most significant person in the room. My youngest son, when he was a bit bit younger, um, we had people around for dinner after church, you know, on a Sunday, and uh, it was one of those things when the couple said something, and I, I thought, oh, no, what are they going to say? Because I could see the wheels going round in, in Eddie's head. And they announced that they had no TV. And you could, I could think, oh, what's he going to say? And he, he stood and he looked and he looked and he looked and he goes, if you haven't got a TV, what does all your furniture point at? <laughs> what was the most significant thing in the room? And so we see that too with, with what we do in church. And actually, we've got to do things differently. So the most significant person in the room is the Holy Spirit. And so for us... We've had meetings where the worship has gone on and I've been allowed kind of 10 minutes to speak at the end, you know. And basically I just got up and said, I've got nothing else to add. Anything else I'm going to say is just noise. Because the Holy Spirit has done what he wanted to do through the worship. You know, there are times when the prophetic input is, is, is loads. And you think, actually, the Holy Spirit's using that to connect us to the, to the presence of God. Other times, and and, and quite often, it is the sermon that enables us to connect with the heart of God, particularly if you do it differently. So it's quite normal for me to do what I did earlier and just to kind of stop and let the Holy Spirit move on what I'm saying and, and get people to engage with it physically. Because it's not about me. 
It's about him. And so, so we, we've kind of done that and, and we've shifted things around. Now, you could therefore come on a Sunday and look and think that is no different to what we do. And just if you were measuring how much time and what's done in what order, you'd be right. But the difference is it could at any point change depending on what Holy Spirit's doing. And so whilst the physical output doesn't always look different, the attitude of heart changes everything. Um, and so we work very much as a team. You'd have seen Joss and I maybe, you know, looking at each other as he's leading worship. We're chatting. We're kind of eye contact. What we're doing next? Have you got something? And often we use the language even, you know, we, we say, I'm going to hand over to the worship leader. Now, what that gives me a picture of is, is a relay race. So I've got the baton because I'm hosting the meeting. And now I'm going to pass the baton to the worship leader. And who's going to pass the baton back to the notice giver? who will pass the baton back to the preacher. And it's like that. Now, I don't know if you watched a, a, a relay race. Uh, it's a team sport. But there's a lot of people standing around. Most of the time, most of the team are stood doing nothing. And one person is running. But I don't think the way we lead together as a team is like that. I think it's more like a basketball game. So you have a team of guys, or girls, I don't know if we have mixed basketball teams, but I'm sure you do, but moving forward together, it's just that one person happens to have the ball, but the whole team is moving forward together. And what the purpose of that team is, who's got the shot? Is it the worship leaders that's got the shot? Well, take the shot. If he doesn't think he's got the shot, you pass the ball to the prophet. Prophet got the shot. Have they got the shot? No. Pass it to the preacher. Has the preacher got the shot? Yes, go for it. But we're all moving forward as a team together. It's not, well, there's the baton. See what you can do with that, Josh. Come on then. Yeah, yeah, okay, go on. Hold on. It's together we're moving to forward as a team. It's just one person happens to have the ball. But that person isn't always looking to take the shot. They're just thinking, have we moved the team? Have we moved the church forward enough? And can I now pass the ball to someone else who could move us forward a little bit more until we get the shot? And the shot is engaging and countering the presence of God. And it could be the first person that has the ball. It could be someone else as it's passed around. And so it's, it, maintaining momentum is about working together as a team. It's not focused on one. It's focused on the one. Okay. I'll squeeze one more in. What do you think? Okay, the other one I'll I'll just throw in for good measure is I think for the present move of God to become our new normal, which is what I've been talking about, it has to come from a a genuine platform um, of inheritance for future generations. We've got to produce something that's not just a high watermark, but actually there's an inheritance for future nations, uh, future generations. Um, and, and, and I believe that comes through a foundation that is built by apostles and prophets. And I think as we begin to see apostles and prophets working much more together, we'll see that. Now, when I, when I say apostles and prophets, let me rephrase. Let me say the apostolic gift and the prophetic gift working together. I believe there is an Ephesians for kind of apostles and prophets working together. Now, you probably get it if I talk to you about a prophetic gift. You probably don't get it, maybe, if I talk about an apostolic gift. Because we tend to think of, because of the model that we've always had, it's like on or off with apostles. So you're either an apostle or you're not. 
And that's about it, because that's all we've got. But actually, when you think of the prophetic, you don't think of that you're a prophet or not, because we can all prophesy. There's a measure of gifting that you can facilitate and grow in and get better at and mature at. And for some, they kind of cross a line. Don't ask me where the line is, but there's a kind of line that they cross to the office or the position of prophet. Now, we get that with the prophetic gift, but we don't get that with an apostolic gift. Why not? So why is there not the ability to have an apostolic gift that you can grow in, mature in, excel in, get better at? And for some, they might cross the line to apostolic, whatever that is. Do you see what I mean? And so actually, what we tend to, we don't like to use the word apostolic gift, so what we call them is visionaries. (gasps) He's a visionary, and you're thinking, what's that? There's no biblical visionary. It's apostolic gifting. And so we need to start to recognize that for what it is, call it what it is, um, but allow it to work together with the prophetic. And I believe that that will bring a platform um, that uh, allows us to move on from, not just have a high watermark. Um, and that's you know, certainly what I see from places like Bethel. I know they kind of sometimes get some bad press, but you know, Bill Johnson's like a seventh-generation pastor. They've, they've understood what it is to actually build a legacy, and we've not yet done that. And I believe it's something that the, certainly the you know, apostolic gift and the prophetic gift will, will help us to do, is actually you know, we don't want to be fighting the same battles that our fathers fought. You know, my father's a pastor, and I, I do find myself at this point in time fighting many of the same battles that he fought because we don't learn. And you look at the Old Testament, read Kings. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king. They didn't build a legacy. So after a generation, their sons had to learn the same lessons again. I don't want that. I want us to build something, and I believe we want to maintain genuine momentum, and I'm not talking about in my lifetime, you know, Go and freak your pastors out. Do you want to know how to freak your pastor out? Okay, the, the, the easy way is, you know, what, what's our five-year plan? Have we got a five-year plan? What's your vision for the next five years? Go and ask him what his 100-year plan is. Ask him what his plan is that will exceed his lifetime. Because that's what I'm thinking about. I want, a, I want a plan that exceeds my longevity to live. And I believe it's so important. If we want to genuinely build momentum that's sustainable, we need to be looking into future generations and making sure the foundations that we lay in now will serve them. Um, That's so important. So time is away, um, and I'm sure your lunches are calling, but I think, you know, when Paul talks about speaking on on love, doesn't he? He says, there are various gifts, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. And I would say, you know, in a similar way is... Whatever you aspire to, whatever you hope for, if you don't have hunger, you have nothing. And that would be my, my takeaway for you all, is hunger is the thing that ignites us into the presence of God, but the lack of it will also be the thing that stalls us as well. So take responsibility for yourself. Stay hungry. Don't expect your pastors to be the one that, that finds a solution for you. You take responsibility for yourself. Get hungry, stay hungry, enjoy being hungry, um, and um, I'm sure we'll see something, a legacy that we can leave for many generations to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk 
Sunday morning.